Praise the Lord. Good afternoon again, family. As I said earlier, it is a joy to be with you today. As John uh, mentioned in his prayer, we are in Psalm 119. We're in the middle of a what we call our Summer in the Psalms series, where each summer we spend time in the book of Psalms in the Bible. And uh, this year, unlike other years, we're actually only going through one psalm, uh, because the psalm we're going through is Psalm 119. And if you know, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. But if you would, go ahead and turn, open in your Bibles, turn to Psalm 119. Uh, If you don't know where that's at, just basically go as close to the middle of your Bible as you can and open it. You'll be really close. Psalm 119. Today we're going to be looking at two stanzas, as has been our practice each week. Uh, We're going to begin in verse 81 and then read through verse 96 today. Uh, Psalm 119, verses 81 through 96. That will take us through uh, the stanza titled, Kaf and Lamed. So, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God together today? Psalm 119, verses 81 through 96. I'll invite you to read out loud along with me. At the end of that reading, I will say that this is the Word of the Lord, and I invite you to respond in true praise by saying, Thanks be to God. Let's begin. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your Word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. Persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, we are uh, in our Summer in the Psalm series. This year, uh, we made the decision to go through Psalm 119. And to be quite honest, we talked about it. Kind of, it was almost more of a joke to begin with, to be quite honest with you. You know, hey, what if we actually just went through Psalm 119? <laughs> and, uh, and then it kind of just 
sat there and was like, well, what if we went through Psalm 119? Oh, yeah, maybe we should think about that. Um, and being as big and as long of a psalm as it is, um, and dealing with the content that it deals with, where nearly every single verse out of 100 and, I believe, 46 verses, no, more than that, excuse me, 76, 176 verses, almost every verse, and there's, there is some argument to be made if you look at the original Hebrew, in the English, at least, we can say that out of 176 verses, about 171 deals specifically with the law of God. Okay, so over 170 times, we've got to deal with the law of God. That's heavy. Why? Well, because the law of God is perfect. Because the law of God is an expression of God's character and nature. It is, it is an expression of who He is. This is why, <laughs> believe it or not, that we cannot actually keep it. Because the standard of God's law is the standard of His own holiness and perfection. Now, does that mean because we can't keep it that we get to just say, well, forget it then? No, that's not how it works. We are called to pursue that perfection. Jesus' own exposition of the law in the New Testament in the Sermon on the Mount, he ultimately gets to that point, and he is trying to show his listeners what it really means to keep God's law. And so in the end, what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, I remember it in the King James, Be ye therefore perfect, as my Father in heaven is perfect. Well, there was a problem. On that day, as on the day in the Old Testament, the listeners heard the holy and perfect righteous law of God. And instead of saying what the psalmist says here in a very simple prayer in verse 86, Help me! What did the Israelites say in the Old Testament? This we shall do. They heard the law of God. They heard the expression of God's holy, perfect, righteous character and nature. And they stood up with no self-awareness at all and said, Yep, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And the Old Testament at the very least, it's certainly more than this, but at the very least, the Old Testament stands as a record of them actually not doing what they said they would do. Not just once or twice or three times or a handful of times, but over and over and over and over again. And what does God do as a loving Father? He comes and He disciplines His people. The discipline comes and the people Repent, and God relents. He restores His people. He keeps His promises. What was one of His promises? A promise that was made uh, to Solomon for all of God's people. That in that day, 
under the oppression of God's discipline. What did God say? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then what? I will hear them from heaven and I will heal them and restore their land. And God was faithful to that promise over and over and over and over again. And then Jesus comes, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he, ex- he exposits all of God's law. They're not getting it. He gets to the end. He says, and to sum it all up, guys, hey, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And everyone's like, oh, that's all? Okay, let's go. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't have an awareness. And this is why coming to Psalm 119 is heavy. Why? Because it talks about God's law. And we are helpless to keep God's law. Now, I don't feel entirely bad for being trepidatious, for not coming to Psalm 119. Um, though we have now. But originally, I was trepidatious about coming here. Uh, you know, St. Augustine. Going through the Psalms, just skipped right over Psalm 119. Like, yeah, nope, Psalm 120, let's go. <laughs> so I don't feel that bad. But here we are, and, and, and rightfully so. I believe we need to be here. It was something we prayed about. Like I said, it started as a joke. <laughs> yeah, Psalm 119. Oh, what if we actually did that? Maybe God put it there for a reason. Maybe we do need to look at it. Because we do actually need God's law. We need God's law to reveal to us who he is. We need God's law to expose us for who we are as lawbreakers. And then not to be left there, but to remember that the Psalms are the hymn book of Jesus that these were words that were put in his own mouth and in his own experience such that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the things that are written here so that in our place of being exposed as lawbreakers, we can look to Jesus as the law keeper who kept the law not only to win the well-done, good and faithful servant for himself, but for all those who would believe in his name. And so we look today. Uh, and, and Joel and I, and I think John and Joel and I have talked over the last couple of weeks, and I kind of, I said to them, I said, guys, I'm sorry. Like 16 verses every week, it's a lot. Every sermon so far has been kind of like stanza one and stanza two. And that's probably the way it's going to be for the rest of the summer. Uh, we today stands as the midway marker. And I'll be quite honest, we probably should have, in hindsight, we should have just done a stanza a week and said next summer we'll pick up where we left off and finish it in two summers. But, you know, that just seemed like a bridge too far. <laughs> And I don't know that we would have actually chosen to do Psalm 119 if that's how we were going to do it back then. Now, it's like, that's probably what we should have done. But we're just going to power through. And this is what we're going to trust. We're going to trust that the Lord is with us. 
We're going to trust that he is faithful to his word. We're going to trust that uh, what we need to receive from him through Psalm 119 over the course of this summer, we will receive according to his faithfulness to us. Amen? So get ready for another big, you know, lead up and then a speed bump over uh, stanza two. Amen? No, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit. Probably by the end of the summer, we'll figure out how to do this thing in such a way that we get both stanzas in here. What I want to do today is I want to just briefly point out to you a couple of things. First of all, I want you to see that in this first stanza, in this stanza calf, I don't know, does anyone else have uh, in their Bible the, the heading probably says calf, that's part of the inspired text, but do you actually have a representation of the Hebrew letter there next to the anglicized word? Okay, so I do, sorry for the rest of you. Uh, it looks like a backwards C, a backwards C. And there's, there's so many ways and places that you can approach these different stanzas in Psalm 119. But one of the things that we have to recognize is that when this was written in the original Hebrew, uh, in ancient times, that letters were more than just letters. They were symbols. And each of the letters, though they would form together with other letters to make words, the individual letters themselves had meaning in ways that we don't associate meaning to certain letters. Uh, the closest thing we could probably get to it would be a combining of two letters, which are the letters S and O. S-O-S-S-O-S-S-O-S-S-O-S-S-O-S. Suddenly the letters S and O carry more weight for us when we see them in that sequence. Why? Because that's the international call sign for help, which is actually fitting for this stanza. As I pointed out already, the short prayer in verse 86, simply from the psalmist to the ear of God, help me. There is a sense in which he is sending out an SOS, but this Hebrew letter kaf, which is the first letter of every line in the original Hebrew through these eight verses from verse 81 to verse 88, start with that Hebrew letter kaf. And because it is a curved letter, the ancient Hebrews associated that. They said it looks like a, like a hand, like an outstretched hand. And what is an outstretched hand? An outstretched hand is outstretched to receive something, right? It's an open hand. And so there's a sense in which even the psalmist in this prayer, as you look at this, what is he doing? He's, he says, my soul longs for what? For your salvation. God, I'm, I'm looking to you to extend something to me, and I'm coming to you with outstretched arms, with open hands, because I am trusting that I'm not just hanging out here on a limb or on a whim or on a hope that is not based in anything. What does he say? I hope in your word. So what does that mean? There's something that has already been received. It was a message. It was a promise. It came from the word of God. And the psalmist is saying, I'm not just, you know, saying, hey, please have mercy on me. I'm over here. No, God, 
I'm reaching back and I'm saying, you promised. And because of that promise, I'm hoping in that promise. Therefore, on that promise, I'm reaching out to you with outstretched arms, with open hands, ready to receive everything that you have for me. Just not many weeks ago, we talked about uh, what it means to uh, receive something. What do you have to do? If you have an open hand, it means there's nothing in it, right? And so if you're holding on to something, you can't receive anything. We talked about my kids and how if I want to give them a gift, but they're hanging on to something and I want to give them something that's better than what's in their hands, they're going to have to let go of what's in their hands in order to have open hands to receive the good gift that I want to give them. And so here... I want you to see that open hand. I want, I want you to see that as a posture of the psalmist's heart and, and ask the Holy Spirit to give you that same kind of posture. Right? There, there, there are things that... <laughs> I got a little excited during I Surrender All this, this afternoon. And I hope that it, it wasn't just excitement for the sake of excitement, but what you felt in what I was singing and what I was expressing was this same kind of sentiment in the first verse of our stanza here. A desperation of, God, I need you. And so I'm surrendering all. I'm letting go of everything else so that I can take a hold of you, right? There's a posture that comes in singing something like that, and you could sing it differently, and it wouldn't mean the same thing. I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. Just doesn't quite communicate the same desperation or feeling of emotion, does it? There's a, a posture that goes with that, those words that give it meaning. And so here, as the psalmist is crying out to God, he's coming with a posture of outstretched arms and open hands. He's let go of other things so that he can receive from God something that he has promised. Look, verse 82, my eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? There's a sense in which he knows that God has promised to be a comfort to him, to come and undergird him with strength, strength that he needs. Why? Because this dude is going through some stuff. I mean, look at it. He's asking how long I have to endure. He says, verse 83, I've become like a wineskin in the smoke. What a picture, right? In the ancient times, you didn't have hydro flasks, right, to carry around your, your, your water every day. You had these animal skins. They were literally made out of animal skins, sometimes even animal bladders that had been uh, dried to a certain extent or gourd, something like this. But most especially, especially in the ancient Near East, they used animal skins. A lot of times they, that's how they would carry water. That's how they carry wine. Uh, wine was more typical to carry around than water because it was healthier uh, to have the wine because the wine was fermented. And yes, it was wine. It wasn't juice, okay? I don't have time to get into it, but it was wine. It wasn't juice, all right? And 
It was fermented, therefore it was healthier for them to drink because the fermentation process actually helped to get rid of parasites that the water might carry otherwise. And so these wineskins, though, in order to be useful, had to remain pliable. They had to be supple. So the last thing you would want to do with your wineskin is go and hang it up next to a fire. Because a fire would dry that wineskin out so much so that that wine that was still going through the fermenting process inside would act like my wife's kombucha did the other day when we forgot to give it a little release and just popped it open and it just exploded everywhere, right? The pressure would build up and if that wineskin wasn't supple enough to stretch with that fermentation, it would burst. And so here... He says, what? I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. In other words, words what? I, I'm not, I am not only dried out, I am getting charcoaled over here. I am turning into charcoal. And basically what? It is only a matter of time before this whole thing busts wide open and I'm, I'm finished. In that moment, so many people would do what we talked about a couple weeks ago, what? Run to lesser things, right? Those worn out paths that we have to idolatry. Those are the times that we run to those. But what does he say? Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. But God, I, I am here. He's being honest. Don't you love this? Hey, David, how's it going, man? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. No, dude, I am hanging like a dried out wineskin here and I'm about to burst. How long, oh Lord, must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? So he's being persecuted. He feels like he's been hung out to dry, right? And then he says this, the insolent have dug pitfalls for me. You know what a pitfall is? Anyone ever seen the old Swiss Family Robinson, the Disney Swiss Family Robinson? And the little kid, what's he always doing all over the island? He's just digging holes everywhere. Why? He's going to catch himself a tiger. Spoiler alert. Gets his tiger, right? A pitfall is something that you dig for animals. It's what hunters and snarers use to catch wild game, specifically dangerous wild game. And so what's happening? He's saying, they're not even treating me like a human being. They're, they're, they're pursuing me as if I was a wild animal. In other words, what? He's, he's constantly having to watch where he goes because they keep digging these, these holes for him to fall into. Uh, why? Because they do not live according to your law. In other words, what? If they lived according to God's law, what would they do? They would treat him as another image bearer of God. They would treat him with dignity and respect even if they didn't agree with him, even if they thought he was wrong, even if they thought that they had some kind of case to make against him. They would make it in a way that showed their allegiance to God, but instead, who are they aligned with? Themselves only. And so they are going after him as if they're pursuing a wild animal and not treating him as a fellow image bearer of God. Not only that, what? They persecute me, he says, verse 86, with falsehood. This is where that verse comes. He gets this place of desperation. He's like, I'm running out of words, God. Help me. 
Do you know that that is an A-OK prayer to pray? <laughs> when, when you are stuck and you don't know what to do and you don't know what to pray, help me is a perfect prayer. It's biblical. <laughs> it is a Holy Spirit breathed out inspired prayer. Help me. And that's what he does. Why? Listen to verse 87. They have almost made an end of me on earth. They have almost What is he saying? He's saying I am on the brink of destruction. I'm on the brink of death. God, help me. Now, sometimes we can feel that way when there's nothing actually physically wrong with us, can't we? We can be under such mental or emotional stress or trauma that we actually get to that breaking point even though our bodies might be fine. Usually by the time we get there, our bodies are starting to respond as well. Stuff starts breaking down in our bodies because we're carrying so much trauma and so much stress from our emotional and mental state. And in that place, you may not know what else to say except, God, help me. I feel like I am on the brink of death, like I am going to be destroyed if you don't come in and what? Rescue me. That's what he's asking for. That's what his outstretched hands are there for. Verse 81, my soul longs for what? For your salvation. He's asking God to rescue him. God, rescue me. In your steadfast love, what? Give me life. In other words, revive me. Revive me. As I was looking at verse 83 this week, I couldn't help but remember an old Keith Green song. Where in a specific time of his own distress in his life, he sat down at the piano in the middle of the night. And he simply wrote uh, this song that says, My eyes are dry. My faith is cold. And he asked the Lord in this song, he says, Come and wash me. In the water of your word and in the wine of your love. That's what the psalmist needs here. It's what we need sometimes. When we are feeling like we've been left out to dry. Like that wineskin is about to burst. Like, and, and, and sometimes what? Sometimes we get there because of our own mess. But here, what's he saying? He's saying, this is coming as a result of these people who are pursuing me and persecuting me. They're slandering me. They're saying all kinds of lies about me. And I feel like I am about to die. God, help me. Save me. Rescue me. And in the natural, this is what would have to happen. Those old wineskins... 
would have to just be tossed. But whoever is in Christ is a new creation. God is the one who is able to come. And he is able to renew. He is able to recreate. He is able to restructure. He is able to give new life in place of old. The psalmist knows this, and this is why he says in verse 88, In your steadfast love, give me life. Revive me, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not going to back down. I, I don't want to chase after lesser things. I don't want to go down those old paths that I know so well that will only lead me to things that will leave me in the place that I am or take me even further, which is usually the case, is it not? Sin will always take you further than you want to go and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And so he says, I'm not, I'm not backing down. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. A couple weeks ago, I asked, what would it take? Remember, Martin Luther said that uh, if he was given a choice, that he would not give up Psalm 119 for all the treasure in the world, for anything, basically. Just Psalm 119. Here, the psalmist speaks of all of God's word, his precepts. This is a, it's a, it's a catchphrase for all of God's law, his instructions, his word. I've not forsaken them. Even at this hour of desperation, I haven't turned away. And yet, how often do we go through so much less and quickly we give up the word of God? In fact, it's usually something we've already abandoned. By the time we get into the crisis, it's like, oh, I need to get back to the Word of God. But here he says, I have not forsaken your precepts. I mean, what would it take, honestly? I'm not going to ask you to speak out loud right now, but consider it. I mean, we've seen it in the last couple of years. I mean, is a, is a pandemic enough to get you to say, you know what, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to hear the word of God. What if, what if someone came and said, you know, those Bibles, you can't have them anymore. What, I mean, at what level would you give it up? If you want to you keep your Bible, you can't keep your job or your house, or your kids. What's the price? Here the psalmist says he's on the brink of death, yet he will not forsake God's precepts. Do we, do we have a, a price? Is there a price that we're willing to take to give up the word of God? I wish I could say, never! Right? You can take our land, but you'll never take our Bibles. I wish I was that guy. 
But I don't need any of that to forsake the Word of God. Just get me busy enough. Just give me enough projects around the house or enough stuff going on with my kids. I'll, I'll not read the Bible for a whole week and not even think about it. That's how insidious the enemy is. He doesn't need to have an invasion in our country and take all our freedoms away. We give them up willingly. At what cost? Are you willing to surrender the word of God? That convicted me this week. At what point would I have already abandoned the word of God and sought comfort somewhere else? Here, the psalmist says, I'm I'm not going to forsake your word. Now, I believe he meant it. I don't necessarily believe he did it fully but there was one who was slandered there was one who we learned about just as we came to the end of uh, our time in Mark before summer started where were we at where every single day the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders were digging a pit for Jesus trying to get him to fall into this pit. They were slandering him and accusing him and saying all kinds of false things about him. And ultimately, where did we leave off? Where even his own friend had betrayed him and he was being arrested and taken away. Where he won't just come to the brink of death. But he will actually be put to death on a cross not because he deserved it but because we did and he went there for you and for me why? and he answer to the prayer in verse 81 my soul longs for your salvation my hope I hope in your word My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Truly, the psalmist's greatest comfort is found in the same place ours is, in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ for us and on our behalf. I love this, that as we continue, and I want you to see this, verse 86, help me. Verse 88, give me life. Turning to the next stanza, uh, looking here, we see again that just simply, verse 94, save me. These are good prayers. You don't have to pray in some kind of You know, you don't have to learn ancient Hebrew. You don't have to learn Greek. You don't have to pray in Latin. You don't have to come up with King James, English, you know, Shakespearean prayers. Sometimes, help me, give me life, save me, is all you need. I'm not saying that's what your prayer life should look like ultimately all the time. I'm just saying sometimes... 
that's all you got. And I want you to know today, it's enough. God hears those kinds of simple prayers. You want an example? Jesus is walking on the water in the midst of a storm. You know the story, right? The disciples are on a boat. They think it's a ghost. They're scared out of their minds. They already think they're going to die because of the storm. Now they think they're seeing ghosts. Jesus says, hey, it's me. They don't believe it. It's like, yeah, we, we've heard ghost stories before, right? It's never who they say they are. That's true in stories and in real life, by the way. So they're like, we're not, we're not falling for that one. So Peter, and I don't know how this was supposed to prove the test, but Peter, I mean, they're in distress, okay? Peter says, if it's really you, then tell me to come out on the water also. And that's where I'm like, really? That, that, was, the, that was the play. Tell me to jump out of the boat and walk on the water. Like, that just sounds, that doesn't sound right to me. But that's what he says. And so Jesus says, come on. And what happens? Peter starts walking on the water in the middle of a storm. Incredible, right? But then the Bible says what? That, that his eyes were distracted by the wind and the waves. I don't have time to get into all of it. I've studied this. When these kinds of storms happen on this particular sea, you could have swells that came up 12 to 20 feet high sometimes. So we're not talking about he's walking on the water and it's just like, you know, a little choppy. And some dude's like wakeboarding on the other side laughing because he's scared. No, this is some serious... The disciples, many of whom were fishermen, many of whom had grown up on that same uh, sea, were scared to death. They thought they were going to die. And so when Peter gets out and he is distracted by the winds and the waves, it's very likely that a huge swell came up and literally cut off his vision of Jesus. Peter prayed one of these kinds of prayers. Basically, Jesus, save me. And the Bible says that immediately Jesus was there, grabbed him by the hand, and here's the best part. Together, they walked on the water back to the boat, and then the storm stopped and the seas were calm. That's the kind of help that the psalmist is crying out to God for. God, I need you to come and save me, rescue me, keep me from drowning, pull me up out of this mess, and walk with me through this storm. Amen? And all of it, he says, is what? I'm hoping in your word. This isn't something I'm coming up with on my own. Hey, God, I just came up with this. It would be a great idea. Why don't you save me? How about that? That would be awesome. Yes, please. What do you think? No, what? He's saying, I hope in your word. This is something that's already coming from God first. God promising to be a savior, to bring salvation, to save, to rescue. And so God, this is what you said. I'm hanging on to your word. Will you come? 
And we move into the next stanza and he says what about God's word? That his word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Some of the other translations say that it is settled. And let me ask you this. Even after telling a story like I just did from Scripture out of Matthew's Gospel of Peter walking on the water with Jesus, is that settled for you today? Or are you going, well, that's a nice parable. That's a nice, you know, story that we can tell kids about God who's able to help us. No, listen to me. Jesus literally walked on water. Then Peter literally walked on water. He literally sank. Jesus literally saved him, pulled him up, and together they literally walked on the water. I'm asking, is that settled for you? Because for a lot of people today, and unfortunately in a lot of seminaries today, that's not settled. They're saying... Allegory? Maybe? Parable? I'm asking you, is it settled? Because God's word is settled in the heavens. We could go to Isaiah chapter 40 where the prophet would say, Surely the people are grass. And the grass withers. And the flower fades. But the word of the Lord endures forever. It transcends creation. This is what the psalmist is saying. Your word is not dependent upon the the natural circumstances that are going on in the midst of all creation. It stands with you. It stands as you outside of creation, outside of space and time, fixed and settled in the heavens. But I'm asking, is it fixed for you? There is a huge trend that is going on in the church right now called deconstruction. It is something that I would have ended up in if God hadn't saved me about 14 years ago. I was in the same place as a lot of the people that we've seen end up there. And for all of the issues with the way I was brought up in the church and the things that I had to work through, there's one thing, at least, that they did get right. And it was that the Word of God is the Word of God. It is the inerrant, inspired, Holy Spirit breathed out Word. It is authoritative. So that when I was questioning everything, I knew there was at least one thing I could fall back on. And I got to this place where I had to say, let every man be a liar so that God may tell the truth. And where can I go to find God telling the truth? It's his word. If I had given up that, if I had said, you know what? Not settled for me. I'm telling you right now, that's where I would be. 
you give up this, you lose everything. Because you no longer have an authority to appeal to. There's no longer a standard to hold everything else to. And hear me, question. I don't have a problem with questions. Question things. Question doctrines. Question dogmas. Question the confessions. Question the creeds. Question the catechisms. Question them. That's what they're there for. That's how you make the best use of them. Question them. But appeal to the authority and the standard of this. Do they match this? Do they say what this says about Jesus? Do they say what this says about creation? Do they say what this says about you? That's how you question it. Not, well, I don't really feel like that, you know, really articulates what I think. I love you. God loves you more. I don't care what you think. And I mean that the way that my wife doesn't like it when I say I don't care what you think. What matters is what God has said and is it firmly established in the heavens? The answer is yes. In the beginning was the word. Not in the beginning became the word. Not in the beginning started the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word was with God. And the word became flesh. And his name is Jesus. You see the word of God being settled in the heavens. Is the same thing as the answer to the question, where is Jesus now? Well, where is he? Jesus is presently seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning until he makes every enemy his footstool. That's a locked up kind of secure And there is nothing and there is no one who can arrest Jesus from that seat of power and authority. And the word of God being settled in the heavens is the same thing as Jesus being seated on the throne. And from that place, his faithfulness extends it endures. It goes on and on. It's like a line that never ends or a, 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 a casting of light that moves from its source out from that place never to find an end. That's the faithfulness of God. He says your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day for all things are your servants. Remember, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that God's involved even in our affliction. So even the things that the psalmist is going through that he's asking God to rescue him from, he knows that God is involved somehow because all things, he says, are your servants. 
And he understands that if he had abandoned or forsaken the precepts of God, that would have been his end. Verse 92, for if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Listen to me, folks. The world may trash you. It may leave you. It may abandon you. Every person you know, no matter how good they may seem or have been to you in your past, every single one of them is fallible. Every single one of them is finite. Every single one of them is able to sin in the most grievous and heinous ways against you. And you could find yourself completely and totally alone in this world. But there is one place that you can go to without fail. And it is to the word of God. And when you feel at your lowest or at your loneliest place, do not forget the precepts of God. Let the law of God, let His Word be your delight even when you feel you have been abandoned by everyone else and find there the comfort of God. Find what the psalmist says in 93 that by the Word of God, through His precepts, that God has given him life. When you feel like life is just being sucked out of you, run to the Word of God. Drink deeply from the Word of God. Let it fill you and give you life. Drop down like a wandering pilgrim that's just made it through the desert and drink it until you just can't drink anymore and see what the Lord will do. Even as you come down the path of life and you see the enemy laying in wait for you. You know that they stand before you. Even in that moment, do not fear, but consider the testimonies of the Lord. What are his testimonies? His testimonies are those promises that have already been kept. It's those things that we call Ebenezer's, where throughout our life, no matter how bad things get, we come to a place and we look back. When the enemy is trying to say, look ahead, look at that, see that? How are you going to make it through that? How are you going to get through that obstacle? How are you going to make it through that crisis? How are you going to get financially, emotionally, mentally, relationally? How are you going to make it through that? That's when you look back in the best kind of way. Not in a Lot's wife kind of way, wishing you had what God had taken you away from. But instead, you look back and you say, recount for me all the ways that God has been faithful up till now. Shall we count them? We don't have time. We, we wouldn't be able to stop. If we really understood how faithful God has been, if we started trying to recount all the ways that he's been faithful to us, you do understand that because you're here right now, we'd have to go all the way back to Adam 
And even when we have been faithless, He remains faithful. Amen? For He is a faithful God. That's who He is. That too is an expression of His perfect character and nature. And if we had the time, we would never be able to come to an end of it. That's what the psalmist basically says in the last verse there. I've seen a limit to all perfection. In other words, he said, I, and here, this is the king speaking. He, he has not had to uh, really deny himself anything in this life. He's had an opportunity to look at the best that the world has to offer. And what has he seen in all of the best? There's always a limit. There's, there's always a limit. There's always, uh, there's always something that is left lacking. Never satisfied completely. Satisfied for a moment, but then the moment's gone. And you start looking for the next hit, so to speak. Whether that comes from the pursuit of pleasure or the pursuit of wealth or the pursuit of relationship. No matter how good it is, it's never quite good enough. The reason the line only works in the movies, Jerry Maguire, right? You complete me is because it's a lie. There's no human being on this earth that can complete you. And if you look to them to complete you, it will be the end of that relationship because they cannot. But there is one who can. It is the Lord of all creation. The psalmist says, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. In other words, what? It's that extending out that never comes back. And its source is the living word of God himself. Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh, the Word who suffered and died for you so that you might receive the salvation that your soul longs for. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray today? Father, we thank you for this Word. We thank you, God, for your promises. That, God, we don't have to wish and hope that you might somehow be attracted to us in such a way that we get your attention so that we can say, God, please, won't you please have mercy on me and save me? Can't you see how hard I'm trying? Can't you see how much I want it? Can't you see, oh God, can't you see instead... God, you looked before we were even born. You set your love and your affection upon us and promised salvation before we even needed it so that you might be, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, the just and the justifier of those who have faith in you. God, would you cause us today to long for your salvation, 
to hope in your word, to stand on your promises, and with the psalmist, let go of everything else so that we might reach out our arms and open our hands to receive everything that you have for us. Lord, today there are those here who need your touch and your comfort. They need your strength. They need your reviving. They need you to come and gird them up in strength. They need you to come, O God, and renew them with wings like eagles so that they can walk and not faint, so that they can run and not grow weary. Would you come now by your Spirit and do what only you can do to bring that kind of miraculous touch to your people today? Pray all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you believe it, say amen. Amen.